Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is April 4, and our text for today is 1 Kings chapter 3. What an amazing chapter this is. David, the man after God's own heart, is now gathered unto his father, and Solomon, his son, by the woman Bathsheba, is now firmly in control. And the scripture says, Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh king of Egypt and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Those were his great accomplishments in the city, not marrying Pharaoh's daughter. That's nowhere authorized in scripture. And so he started out with a treaty that was not good to begin with, but God in his great mercy as he always does, his loving kindness, his hesed. He had pity on Solomon and did not bring his adversaries against him in his early days. But the scripture says that meanwhile, the people offered sacrifices in various places. Now, remember, God had said that the tabernacle was the place, the central worship center that the people were to come. But because it was such a small place, again, God in his mercy, allowed the people even to sacrifice on the hills around Shiloh. Shiloh. Many times you can read about that in the scriptures. But the scripture says in verse 3 of 1 Kings 3, And Solomon loved the Lord. Notice the word Lord, all caps, the personal name of God. He was walking in the statues of his father David. Now notice the I-N-G, the participial form as we would call it. That is, it was a continual way of life. Solomon sought God in his youth and what a blessing that was. Except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. That is, Solomon had not a central worship place which David wanted to build, but God would not allow him. Now, verse 4 says, When the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was a great high place. It's just outside of Jerusalem. It is a place that's right on the road today as you go up the Patriarchal Highway from Jerusalem. You leave, you go north. As you go a little north and a little west, you will run into Giba, and that is Gibeah, which is just north on the way of the Patriarchal Highway. Way. And so the scripture says Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, Ask what I shall give you. Now, this is a side note worth noting. The Bible teaches that God appeared to Solomon here in a dream. And ask him, what is it that you want me to give you? And indeed, Solomon, recognizing that he was a very young man, did not have a lot of experience and wisdom, asked that God would grant him wisdom. 
The scripture says, because he did not ask for riches or the lives of his adversaries, and everyone has them, that God was going to grant him what he did not ask for, all of that. Now look what it says in verse 7. Now Solomon said, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. You see how he looked at himself? I do not know how to go out or to come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people. He asked for wisdom, for understanding, for prudence, for the ability to have discernment between good and evil, and to judge the people correctly, because that's what a king would have to do. The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked these things, and then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself, you've not asked for riches for yourself, you've not asked for your enemy's life, but because of that, I'm going to give you everything that you did not ask for, all of those things and more, plus I'm going to make you the wisest man who had ever lived. And indeed, he did. And he said, Solomon, verse 14, if you will walk in the ways of your father David, then I'll lengthen your days. I'll give you a long life. And so Solomon started well. He is a picture of someone who started well, but he did not finish well. When you read the stories of his might and his expansion of the kingdom, his territorial expansion of the original promised land was an amazing thing. And even with his great expansion, building upon what his father David had done, still, even then, Solomon did not reach the boundaries of all that God had promised for the children of Israel. And that has never been reached and will not be reached until the days of the messianic age when the Lord Jesus is ruling among us. But when you come to chapter 9, I want to show you something that's very important. The scripture says, and it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do, it's interesting what verse 2 says. And the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time. Do you realize that in all of Solomon's life, that is in his 40-year reign, that God only appeared to Solomon twice, both times in a night vision, in a dream? It's amazing. You see, sometimes we forget that the Bible is written episodically, in episodes, and we forget that it is a story. Solomon reigned for 40 years. He lived much longer than that. So what was going on during that time? You see, sometimes when we read the Bible, just like in the New Testament, we get the idea that everything has to happen all at once, just a miracle every day. For instance, if you're reading in the Gospels and you read the episodic storyline, then you have three plus years of Jesus' ministry, but we only have just a few events when all is said and done that Jesus did on the earth. What was he doing the rest of the time? For instance, when he was walking by the seashore, and there were the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and then Andrew and Peter mending their nets, Jesus came, and the scripture just says he came and said, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And the scripture says they left their nets and followed him. Well, if you didn't know the storyline and you just were reading that episode, you would think that they had never met the Lord Jesus before, didn't know what was going on. Jesus 
Jesus walked by, and they looked at him for the first time, and he said, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. They dropped their nets, and like robots, took off after him with their arms straight out in front of them. That's not the way it happened. You see, they knew Jesus before this time. They had already heard him teach. No doubt how many times he had already talked with them. And so there was a relationship there. And sometimes when you're reading the episodes of the Bible and you forget the storyline behind it, that the Bible is incomplete in details. It only tells us that which relates to the story in particular that God is trying to get across to us. We will forget that it is the story of God. And so Solomon was living life, doing what he was supposed to do. You see, at the beginning of his reign, God appeared unto him. And then as he had built the temple and had finished what he was doing, God appeared to him again. Now, this is amazing. That means during all of the building process, during all of the negotiations and contracts with Hiram, that is the man who provided all of the labor and the logs and much of the artwork and the skilled labor force to build Solomon's temple, None of that is having to do with going back every day and praying to God and God giving him direction. God gave him direction. So you say, well, what are you trying to say? What I'm trying to say is sometimes we think every day if God doesn't appear to us, then God is not there. Well, you see, the Holy Spirit lives within us. He guides us. And if we'll get in the Word of God, then God will speak to us all the time. Yes, He will guide us. But He's not going to tell us something new every day because He's already told us what to do. Many times God tells us what to do in the Scripture, and we're sitting around putting out fleeces and waiting on God to say something to us when He's already told us what to do. So what are we to do? Do it. Just do it. And this is what Solomon did. God had already given him the blueprint. He had already given him the architectural design through King David, his father. What Solomon needed to do was obey, follow through, and do it. What does that say to you and to me? Well, what it says is when God says something, we need to follow through and do it and not wait around waiting for a sign that it's time. Just do what we know to do. God will stop it if it's not what we need to do. But what we have a tendency to do is as we are following God, if God doesn't just lead us every step by giving us some kind of sign or assurance, we are so far from him that we begin to doubt what he told us to do to begin with. Because you see, in the fog and in the mist and in the battles of life, it's easy to forget what God has told us to do. My general rule is this, what God has shown us in bright light, we don't need to doubt in mist and darkness. Let me say it again. What God has shown us in bright light to do, we don't need to doubt in mist and in darkness. You say, well, what do I do then? You keep on walking. You keep on living. You keep on doing what God has already said to do. We don't need a new word. My children used to come to me and they'd say, Dad, what do you want me to do after I get finished here? I would often say to them, you get more instructions when you finish. The first thing I ask you to do, I'm not going to tell you to do other things that you're not planning on doing. You haven't done what I told you to do. You see, many times we just forget the simple things that Jesus said. For instance, we know that we are to give. We know we are to express our gratitude to God through giving. That is, through monetary giving. 
God has given us a standard for that, a standard, just a standard, a tithe. And people say, well, I'm not under obligation to tithe. Well, it's, it's not an obligation. God owns it all. He could take it all. You have nothing, sir. You have nothing, ma'am. We own nothing. It all belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, everything that's in it, everything we have, we've received from his hands. But God has not left us in the dark on a critical thing like money. He doesn't leave us to just do what we want to do in any other area. Why would he with money? Because that's the area that we have the most problem with. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, if I can't trust you with money to do with it what I told you to do, how can I trust you with true spiritual riches? You see, money is not real riches. It's just a commodity that we use. There's nothing wrong with having goods and money and all of that. It's wrong when it has us, when it owns us. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And greed will ruin a lot of good deals and contracts and relationships. But now listen to me. God let us have a standard for everything, everything, even a day to worship. Do you think he's not going to help us with money? 10% is just a paradigm. It's just a way to say thank you. It's a way to acknowledge God's presence. That's just a starting place. People say, well, you know, the Bible said, let every man lay by in stores. God has blessed him and prospered him on the first day of the week. First Corinthians 15, Pastor, and you read that? Yes, I have. That's about a love offering that was taken for the saints at Jerusalem. That was not a tithe. The tithe is not an Old Testament entity. It's a New Testament entity. Would you say Jesus is in the New Testament? I would think so. That's where we read about his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and about him coming again. All of that's in the New Testament. Jesus said in reference to tithing, these things you ought to have done and not left the weightier things like mercy and good judgment undone. But he didn't say stop tithing. No, everybody needs a standard. What's bothering some of you is that you don't want to give that standard because you say, well, I hadn't been blessed that much. That's a love offering. There's only two kinds of offerings in the Bible, a tithe, which is always 10%, and a love offering. Those the only two kinds of giving in the Bible, a free will love offering and a tithe. One is a way to say thank you. It's a way to give God his rightful place. It's a standard. I can show you over and over again in the Word of God. Never is that undone in the New Testament. Now, did they do it to be saved in the Old Testament? No, no more than the sacrifices saved them. They did it out of obedience to God, out of a grateful heart. This is why we do what we do, not because we're, so we're saved by grace through faith that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, uh, not of works, lest any of us boast. But God has given us what to do, and we need to do it. And so Solomon knew what to do, and he did it. And God blessed him, but he only appeared to him twice. As a matter of fact, the last time he spoke to him, he said, Solomon, I'm displeased with you, and I'm going to rip the kingdom out of your son's hands. I'm going to let you die in peace, but because you have disobeyed me and you've not finished well, I'm not going to continue with this great legacy you had, and I'm going to destroy the work of your hands. As a matter of fact, it was just a few hundred years, and that beautiful temple that Solomon built was gone. We don't have one picture of it. All we have is just a memory of it. The beauty of it as recorded in the Bible. We don't have any drawings. We don't have any major descriptions of it like we did the second temple. Why? Because God said, you disobeyed me. You started well. You didn't finish well. Now, what do I want to leave with you? First of all, in this podcast, we've got to finish well. Many of you have started well. You need to finish well. 
Because you see, there is no seniority with God. We need to walk with God every day, and we cannot ever begin to coast. Secondly, whatever God's given us to do, whatever God's put in our hand, let's do it. Let's just do it. Let's ask God to help us. What He's already told us to do, He doesn't have to come back and give us a miraculous sign to do it. Just get it done. And so God gives us great leeway. It's not a step-by-step. We have to walk in this particular way. God's already laid that out. But you see, God's will is much like a great valley between two great mountain ranges. God lets us have area where we can have some freedom to make some choices within the parameters that He's laid down in Scripture. That's called principles. But God wants us at the destination that He has for us. God has a goal for every one of our lives. God has a desire for every one of our lives. Let's find out what God put us on this earth to do. Find out what our purpose is and do it. And when we do that, we will never be more joyous and happy than walking in the way of God. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.